You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. First announcement on Saturday, September 8th, we have Collision One Conference. It's a disciple-making training, and that will be at King of Glory Church. Um, and then we also have an E2E, Everywhere to Everywhere Conference. Um, it's a mission training, and it's at Life Church. It's October 12th through the 14th through the Crescent Project. So if you have any questions about either of those two trainings, you can talk to Pastor Dave. There will be more details that will come in the e-blast that's coming out this week. Also, in our garden right out back, feel free to go out and help yourself. There's lots of produce that is ready to be picked right now, so anybody after church is welcome to go out and just pick whatever kind of produce that you would like to pick. And our final announcement is the connection card. If you would like to stay connected to Life Church, there's a connection card in front of you. Please fill, fill that out. If you just leave it on your seat or hand it to somebody that, um, Pastor Dave or myself or somebody that you see that looks like they might um, have some connections with us, go ahead and fill this out and get it to us, and we will, we will keep you in the loop about what's going on at Life Church. All right, we are going to start with a word. And we've got Luke 19, and we're starting with verse 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. I'm sorry, this is verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when, he saw, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the, ha the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you, Wade. Uh, you know, I want to extend a welcome and kind of get everybody caught up to speed on where we are. If this is your first time here, we've been in a series all summer long called Encounters with Jesus, just looking at these narratives in the Gospels where Jesus has an encounter with a person or a group of people and looking at what happens there. And we're not just wanting to, to look at those texts to say, wow, you know, look at how great of a guy Jesus is or look what he did, that's really cool, but to ask the Lord, would you encounter us this summer? And, and praise God, many of you have come and talked to us as pastors and say, said those very things have happened, that you've had um, amazing encounters with the Lord over the summer and that he's changed your life in really significant ways. So we're grateful for that. And today we get to see Jesus encounter uh, perhaps one of the most unsavory characters in the whole New Testament, and that's Zacchaeus. Um, and this is challenging for us for a couple reasons. You know, um, there are no modern-day Zacchaeuses. I've been racking my brain all week. There's really nobody that you would recognize that would, that would make you feel the way people would have felt about Zacchaeus back in the day. Um, certainly, he would fall into the category of pimps, uh, drug lords, 
um, scam artists, those kinds of people. Uh, he would be included in that category, but there's really not a modern day Zacchaeus. And so there's a couple of reasons that this text is hard for us. The first reason is how many of you grew up in church and saw Zacchaeus on a flannel graph or, or sang a little song about Zacchaeus a wee, being a wee little man who climbed up in a tree? That's just a cute little song, and we can't get that out of our heads, right? I'm not going to sing it. You get, I'll spare you the earworm today. Um, but you can't get that idea out of your head that this wee little man somehow is a con artist and ripping people off all the time. It's hard for us to see him in that light. So that's difficult. But it's also difficult for us to understand the context in which this story takes place because you know, we live in free, a free democracy and we don't understand how taxes were back then. Um, so I wanted to start with a thought experiment, all right? And this is as best as I can do to help you. Otherwise, you just won't feel about Zacchaeus the way you're supposed to feel about him. Right? You'll still think of him as a cute little wee little man climbing up in the tree. And, and we want Jesus to save that guy, right? But people didn't want Jesus to save this guy. So here, here's the thought experiment. And I know this is going to be a stretch, but let's just imagine that our very polite neighbors to the north invaded us. They got sick of us one day and just said, that's it. We're taking over the United States of America, the Canadians. Any Canadians in here? All right. I love the Canadians. Uh, so, so you know this is, not, this is nothing personal against you. But... Let's say they, they take over the U.S., and somehow, I don't know if it involves horses or what, but they conquer the United States of America. And we are now subjects to the Canadian Empire. And everywhere we look, there's maple leaf flags flying, and people are saying A after all their questions, and they're eating Tim Hortons, and it's just driving us crazy. But also, now you have to pay taxes to a foreign government. So the Canadians come in, and they set up little tax stations in every town and every district, and, and, and they, they say, okay, now how are we going to collect taxes for our government from the American people? And they decide, we're going we're gonna to bid out the job of tax collector. So we're going to make this an occupation that people can actually come, pay a fee for, and then they can have their own business tax collecting, right? This is the way it was in the Roman Empire. And most of the time, it would be the Canadians that would get these jobs, um, collecting taxes, but um, it was a bid that was open to anybody, all right? So you can imagine that. And not only that, but they also said, look, we just care about getting our cut. So we're going to charge a certain percentage for the Canadian government, and the rest is up to you. You can collect however much you want above and beyond that. I mean, can you think of a better recipe for um, abuse? in the tax system. I mean, we think, sometimes we complain about our taxes, but I'm telling you people, that we had nothing compared to what these people were facing. So now you're not paying taxes to your own government, for your own roads and your own programs. You're paying taxes to a tyrannical government that had just overtaken you. And there's no limit on what those taxes can be. They're just up to the discretion of the crooked tax collector. That's the scenario, okay? Now, to make matters worse, imagine that one of your neighbors your American neighbors, under this Canadian Empire rule, decided, I'm going to go down and bid for the job of tax collector. And you're just like, what? Man, I would love five minutes alone with that guy. You know, because you're just mad about this already, and now he's going to go in there so that he can get this job collecting taxes from his fellow American citizens. And he gets the job. And he, he starts showing up at your house, and he's taking the money for your kid's college fund, and he's taking your 401k, and he's taking any money you've been saving up to do home improvements. And he's just, anything, anytime you're getting traction, paying off student loans, he's just coming and charging higher and higher rates. And it's just like, you never know what to expect. 
And you're just like, man, I hate that guy. And that guy, you start seeing him gain cars and houses in Vail and houses down in Florida. And he's, now he's got a personal jet and he's got an entourage. He's got bodyguards because people hate him. And he's a multi-multi-millionaire. And that's the kind of guy Zacchaeus was. That's who he was. And he worked his way up so high that pretty soon he wasn't just a local tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was in charge of lots of other tax collectors. So now his employees are showing up at your home, taking your kid's college fund, taking the money that you had set aside for family vacation, taking any little bit that you had set aside to get ahead. And he's becoming filthy rich on the backs of hardworking poor people. That's Zacchaeus. Yes, he is a wee little man, there's nothing cute about Zacchaeus. He's rich, but he's a traitor and a crook, and he's as unpopular as they come. So that's the picture. You have it in your head now? Um, I don't know why, but I just picture Danny DeVito, who's like four foot ten, right? <laughs> Balding. He's a little guy, but he's super, super rich, always wearing three-piece suits, maybe a gold chain around his neck. Like, that's Zacchaeus. you got to have the picture in your mind, all right? Now, with that picture, hold on to that. Let's go in. This dude's living like a king. He's got everything. He's got servants that do everything for him. This is the guy we're going to encounter. He's going to meet Jesus as Jesus comes to his town, the town of Jericho. And so let's pick up the story um, in verse 3. And he was seeking to see Jesus. All right? So Jesus enters the town called Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And the big crowd follows Jesus wherever he goes at this point because Jesus has this incredible reputation. He's already done one miracle as he enters Jericho. He opened a blind man's eyes, and now he's about to open another man's eyes in a spiritual sense. And Zacchaeus is drawn to Jesus for one reason or another. We don't know why. The text doesn't tell us. I mean, Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher of the law, so I think it's kind of unusual that Zacchaeus would want anything to do with coming to see Jesus. Probably thought maybe he'll get an earful from Jesus. But he's drawn to him. And we know from the text that Zacchaeus wasn't the only one seeking here. Jesus was also seeking Zacchaeus. It says at the end of the text that Jesus was seeking to save those who were lost. And certainly he knew about it as he entered town. Do you want me to just switch? We're having some technical difficulties. Sorry about that. One more time and I'll switch to the handheld. But Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, and we don't know exactly why. We don't know exactly what's going on in his life that he was seeking Jesus. But it wasn't just kind of a casual sort of seeking. He wasn't just sort of saying, uh, maybe if I see Jesus today, that's okay. Um, And if I don't, no big deal. Zacchaeus was intent on seeking Jesus. He was like, "I I have to see Jesus. He's desperate. And we know he's desperate because he does a couple of things that men in that culture, grown men in that culture, especially wearing nice clothes and suits and robes, would not do. And they don't do it in our culture either. Look at verse 3. On the count of the crowd, he's too small, he can't see over him, so he ran, it says. Zacchaeus ran ahead. So now you have little Danny DeVito, three-piece suit, gold chain around his neck. He's running to get ahead of the crowd. I think that's kind of an awesome picture. Little Zacchaeus, maybe his bodyguards, kind of, come on guys, let's go. Got to get ahead, running with him to see Jesus. Men in that culture did not run as they don't do today, especially not in their dress clothes, um, unless they're doing something athletic, they stole something, or there's a dog involved. Right? Those are the only times grown men run, and Zacchaeus says, you know what, I don't care. I don't care how indignified this looks. i got to run. i got to see Jesus. And the story gets even better. No wonder why we love this story so much. He climbs a tree. 
How many grown men have climbed a tree recently? I was thinking about that. Why do we love climbing trees so much when we're kids? I hate climbing trees now. If I have to climb a tree, it's because I've got to cut down a branch. And then I'm in a dangerous spot. All right? But, but no grown men climb trees. Zacchaeus is like, this is my only option. Here's a tree. I'm climbing it. And I imagine maybe he even had one of his bodyguards like, hey, dude, give me a shove. You know, kind of push, push him up into the tree. So now we have this, this guy, super, super rich. He can have anything he wants. He's perched up in this tree where he can now see Jesus. It's a pretty awesome picture. And then Jesus does what he does with every single one of us who's ever become a Christian. He stops, he looks right at him, and he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus. Now, I think at that moment, Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree. Because this is not what he was expecting. He was just, just trying to catch a glimpse, just trying to see him. And, you know, just imagine, he's looking right down at him, and Jesus stops. Zacchaeus, hurry down. I'm coming to your house today. Me and the disciples are coming over. What are we eating tonight? This was shocking for Zacchaeus. It was like saying, I want to be friends with you. I mean, that culture was very similar to today. If you, if you invite someone over to your house for a meal, you're saying, I, I want to build a relationship with you. I want to build a friendship with you. And if you say, hey, I want to come and hang out with you, Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, I want to be friends with you. I want to spend some time with you. Which was absolutely stunning, given the person that Zacchaeus was. How many people do you think ever went over to Zacchaeus' house to eat? I mean... Just with the kind of person he's ripping everybody off, the whole community hates him. How many people do you think went over to, maybe some of the other tax collectors? But if you did go over to Zacchaeus' house, you didn't tell anyone about it. You know, you didn't snap a picture, hey, with Zach at dinner, put it on Facebook. You're not doing that. Gets the trolls going, you know, you don't want that. Nobody's telling anybody if they eat with Zacchaeus. And Jesus stops and publicly announces to everyone, Hey, I want to be your friend. I think that's awesome. Jesus doesn't care about what other people think. He's not concerned about it at all. He just publicly announces, I want to be your friend. I want to be the friend of Zacchaeus, the most unpopular man in the whole community. It's pretty awesome. Total jerk of a guy that everybody had written off, but Jesus wants to be friends with him. And don't miss that idea for us as well. Throughout the scriptures, we see that Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is God. He's powerful over all things. But the scriptures also remind us that Jesus wants to be friends with us. He calls us his friends. The God of the ages, the one who hung the stars in the sky with his fingertips. He wants to be your friend. He knows you by name, every single one of you. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on our heads, which is more work for some than others. But he knows us calls us by name. And I'm wondering if maybe by chance Jesus isn't looking at you today and calling you by name and saying, I want to come over to your house and have dinner. I want to be with you. I want to be friends with you. I want to save you. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. Maybe everybody else has written you off. He hasn't. He doesn't care about your reputation or your sinful past. That doesn't stop him. He doesn't care what other people will think if he befriends you. Jesus is inviting you into a friendship with him. He wants to come over for dinner. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. 
Now, there are two responses that we see here. I'm just going to shut this off. Can you guys just turn the handheld on? At last. There are two responses we see to Jesus' public invitation to Zacchaeus. Because not everybody's wild about this, right? Not everybody says, hey, great. Finally, Zacchaeus is getting some good attention from someone. No, 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 that's not the response that's given. Of course, Zacchaeus' response is joy, right? He shimmies down from the tree, welcomes Jesus joyfully. Kind of can't believe it. Feels like he won the lottery. Like maybe if, maybe he's expecting Jesus is going to call him some names or just give him a public rebuke, which is what he deserved, honestly. But he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus offers him friendship, offers him some time together. What a joyful moment for Zacchaeus. But the crowd felt otherwise. Look at that. The crowd grumbled. You notice that? I mean, they feel like Zacchaeus doesn't deserve someone like Jesus coming over to his house. They feel like their sins aren't as bad as Zacchaeus' sins. And it begs the question of all of us. Here's a question to ask. Who in your life, if God saved them, would you grumble about? Who in your life, if God saved them, would you grumble about? Because chances are we all have that person, right? That, that picture just popped into your mind. If we're honest, we feel like at least one person in life isn't deserving of God's love. Someone who abused you, cheated on you, divorced you, abandoned you, lied about you. We feel like our sins aren't as bad as their sins, and it causes us to be negative when Jesus shows them a hand of mercy, when he offers to forgive them. And as Christians, friends, this this text really challenges us today. It challenges us to look at that and to say, look, if there's anybody in the world that we would grumble about if God forgave them, we've got to change our hearts. We've got to ask the Lord to do a work in us. No matter how bad they were beforehand, we need to respond with joy when Jesus reaches out to them. Now, what Luke doesn't record in his gospel is the exchange that happens between Zacchaeus and Jesus. Obviously, this didn't didn't happen as fast as it's recorded here. There was probably a dinner involved. There's probably lots of conversation. But something incredible happened in that conversation because then look at verse 8. Look at this incredible declaration that we see from Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. We might just kind of skim over that, but that's a huge word. He calls Jesus Lord. He doesn't say teacher. He doesn't say prophet. He calls him Lord. Zacchaeus has become a Christian. Zacchaeus has become a follower of Jesus. He was a seeker, but now he's a follower. He confesses Jesus as Lord. In that day and time, it was very common for someone to say, Caesar is Lord. Right? The head of the Roman Empire, he is the highest authority in my life. But that was no longer true for Zacchaeus. He's now confessing Jesus as Lord. He says, I'm done running my life my way, and I'm taking after you. You're in charge now. He's like, I'm laying down my idol of money and power, and you're going to be the God of my life. Zacchaeus met Jesus and confessed Jesus as Lord. He became a Christian. He's converted there. That's what it means to become a Christian, to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God has raised him from the dead. Now, I think we all know that calling Jesus Lord is something that preaches easier than it lives, right? Like, it's one thing to say it, like, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but it's another thing to live it. 
And we see that Zacchaeus is intent on doing both. He not only calls Jesus Lord, but demonstrates it with his actions. He proves that he's really been saved. And so you see, Jesus doesn't just intend to save us. He also intends to change us. He wants to make us new people, transform us into people like him. And Zacchaeus is on the fast track to do that. Look what he says here. After he calls Jesus Lord, he says in verse 8, half the half of my goods I give to the poor. In today's terms, Zacchaeus would have most certainly been a multi-multi-millionaire, maybe even a billionaire. So he's about to write some big checks. Half of my goods I give to the poor? This is a huge amount of generosity all at once. All of a sudden, the most greedy man in town has become the biggest philanthropist. And this wasn't a requirement of salvation. This wasn't something like he had to do. This is way above and beyond even the Jewish law. Zacchaeus becomes generous. And think about the the ripple effect of the joy. I was just thinking about this the other day. Like Zacchaeus had joy when he first met Jesus, right? And and that was because he probably faced a lot of rejection in his life, and, and he was hated by everybody. And so this really popular person, Jesus, accepts him. But then think about the joy of when he actually comes to confess Jesus as Lord, and now the joy that ripples out into the whole community because Jesus has a new Lord. Now all of a sudden, poor people have food to eat in Jericho. Now their kids can go to school. Now they have money to invest in a small business. Now they can do some repairs on their house because millions and millions of dollars are being reinvested into the poor of that community. They're like, yay, Jesus. I don't know what you did, but this is good news. See, the gospel is good news for so many reasons. Zacchaeus has met Jesus. And I wonder, okay, what, what makes a guy do that if, you're, if it's not forced, if it's not like, okay, this is almsgiving is, is a part of many world religions, right, to give to the poor. But this is way above and beyond almsgiving. And this is not like a demand. Okay, Zacchaeus, now you've done so many bad things, you've got to make up for it by doing this. This is something he just does. He volunteers it. What can do that to a person? What's powerful enough to do that? Well, Zacchaeus has just met and encountered a generous God. He's just encountered the generosity of God in the most generous person who's ever lived, Jesus Christ. That's what happened. Zacchaeus, on the spot, had all of his debts forgiven. A debt collector had all of his debts forgiven in a moment. All these horrific things that he'd done, taking money from people he knew needed it to survive. We even talked this morning, maybe even blind Bartimaeus, the blind guy, was a victim of Zacchaeus. He knew he had this pile of sin, and Jesus said, I'm going to forgive you all of your sin. I'm going to give you a new life, a new identity, salvation forever. And Zacchaeus is like, okay, what's this going to cost me? He's waiting for the, he's waiting for the bill. What do your disciples need? I'll come up with new camels, whatever they need, you know, whatever. Jesus is like, nothing. It's free. It's all free. It's a gift. And that moved Zacchaeus. He's like, what? Going to give all this, a, a total new beginning to me for free? It moved Zacchaeus to be like his Lord, his new Lord. It moved him immediately in his discipleship, wanting to be like Jesus and moving into generosity. And I'm t- asking you today, if you're a Christian here, are you a generous person? And if not, why not? What's, what's preventing that from taking root in your life? Because here's the thing, friends, generosity has been at the core of Christianity since the beginning because everything we receive is a gift. 
That's what grace is, right? That's what grace means. It means a gift. We couldn't do anything to earn our salvation. God just gave it to us in Jesus for free. Like we become the richest people in the world, given everything for free. And so Christians have for for 2,000 years been moved to be incredibly generous people. Are you a generous person or not? Do you love to give? Do you look for things to give? Are you drawn to need so you can give? Do you wish I had lots more money so I could just give? Are you just still kind of a Scrooge? Are you just still kind of a little bit stingy? If you, if you are, you need to really ask yourself, like, what's, what's wrong? Because Zacchaeus demonstrates to us what happens when you really meet this generous God. When you really see how good he's been to you, when you really see how much he's given to you, it can't help but make you a generous person. See, God doesn't just want us to be the recipients of his grace and blessing. He wants us to be the conduits of it. Conduits, not cul-de-sacs, friends. We want to, if, we, if God's blessed us, we don't want to just pile all that stuff up for ourselves. We want to let it flow through us to the rest of the world, a broken world that deeply needs him. And that's immediately what he does with Zacchaeus. Okay, so Zacchaeus becomes this super rich guy, or the super, super generous guy, and he's still rich, and he's giving, but then there's more to it. There's more to his transformation. He says, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll repay them fourfold. I'll repay them fourfold. So this is different than just straight up generosity. He's acknowledging like, I've got a lot of sins. I've really wronged a lot of people. And so I want to make that right. This is called restitution. And something that we don't talk a lot about in Christian circles and I think we should talk about it more, frankly. I think it's a beautiful way to show people that you've been made new in the Lord. Um, restitution, though, we have to kind of define it a little bit because it's different than penance. Um, it's not paying for your sin. It has nothing to do with paying for your sin. Jesus paid for your sins. You couldn't pay for your sins. So he had to come die on the cross and rise again to pay for your sins. Um, it's not karma where, like, you're trying to do some good things so that the bad things don't come around and bite you in the butt in the end. It's not that. Restitution is out of the generosity and the goodness that you've received from God, your heart is made new, and you want to make things right. You want to make things right with the people that you've wronged. So um, let's just say that you drive a Honda like I do. gets you there every time, right? But not a flashy car. And, uh, and let's just say that somebody you meet um, after two weeks, you're kind of getting to know them a little bit, says, hey, I, I had a little bit of car trouble. Can I borrow your Honda? And you say, sure, um, that's fine. And, and they borrow it forever. You know, like weeks go by, they don't answer your calls, your texts, your, their phone's shut down, and you're like, man, that dude took my car. You know, this sucks. How, what am I going to do? And you're just really frustrated about it, and they leave the country and whatever. But four years later, you get a call out of the blue, and this guy has met Jesus, and he says, look, I, I'm really sorry for stealing your car four years ago. That was so sinful of me. But since then, I've met Jesus, and I, I want to make it right. So I've parked my BMW on your driveway. The keys are under the mat. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you can forgive me. That's the kind of restitution that Zacchaeus did. He paid back four times what he had ripped people off. I mean, four times. Like, you can imagine, like, you'd be like, BMW? Yay, Jesus. This is a good day, right? 
Think of, think of all Christians did that. Like when we met Jesus, there was such change in our life that we're like, okay, not that you like have to do this morbid introspection your whole life. Who have I, who have I wronged? Um, but, but that when there's significant things that the Lord brings to your attention, you try to make it right. You do the right thing. That's restitution. So I want to ask you, in light of what Zacchaeus did, as he was so filled with joy and generosity that he wanted to make it right, who have you defrauded, and what's God leading you to do to make restitution? Because I think some of us in here may have those things in our minds that we're like, oh boy, I need to make that right. Jesus would lead me to make that right. He's been so good to me. He's been so kind and so generous to me. He would lead me to make that right. Who have you defrauded, and what do you need to do to make restitution? Because, see, defrauding doesn't have to be so obvious like Zacchaeus is defrauding, where you're obviously just gouging people and charging them enormous rates of tax. Um, it can be simple, like maybe you're at your job and you kind of don't like your employer, so you spend a lot of time on social media and uh, taking personal phone calls and writing personal emails, and your time just really is not devoted to um, helping your employer succeed. Well, that's defrauding your employer. Now, maybe you don't like your employer, so it's time to get a new employer. But what you don't want to do is stay there and continue defrauding them. Uh, or maybe you're selling your car. And um, I, think this is, I think this is something for Christians to really think about because I think a lot of times our faith only follows us until something with money starts. Right? And then all of a sudden, our, our faith goes out the window. I was selling a car a few years ago, and I remember asking a Christian friend of mine who was like knows a ton about cars, like I was selling a truck and I had a buyer for it and I said, hey, you offered me a little lower. What do you think I should do? What do you think I should say? He goes, well, here's what you say. You say, look, I've got another buyer that's at this level and so I really can't sell it for that price. And I was like, okay, what do I say if I don't want to lie to him? I'm not saying that I'm, I just like, it's not worth that to me. A couple hundred bucks is not worth my reputation. He's like, oh, right. If you don't want to lie, but it was just like second nature for him to just lie about a car deal. Why are we lying about that? If you got a car that's a lemon, it's a piece of crap, just put on the Facebook or put on the Facebook rummage ad or put on the Craigslist rummage ad. This car is a piece of crap. I'm selling it cheap to the glory of God. And then just sell it for a cheap price. Don't still say, yeah, everything works great, and they drive it off and it blows up. That's defrauding them. Right? That's defrauding them. Don't do that. That doesn't give Jesus a good name. Just be honest about it. Who have you defrauded? And what's God leading you to do to make restitution? I love what Jesus says here after hearing Zacchaeus' plan. You can kind of see Jesus, he doesn't get fired up a lot, but, but you can see him kind of get fired up with this last couple of statements. He says, today salvation has come to this house. I can just picture him going, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Zacchaeus is my guy. Like he's just fired up about that. He's like, this is the kind of action I like to see. And Jesus doesn't always get to see that, right? We've seen that from some of our other encounters. Just a few paragraphs earlier in Luke, Luke 18, we see the, the story of the rich young ruler. Which if you know your Bible at all, you know that the story went almost exactly the opposite. Jesus, the guy says, hey, I've kept the law perfectly. He's like, oh, yeah, just maybe just one more thing. You could just sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. I think that'll do it. And the guy's like, sorry, Jesus. No can do. And Jesus is like, wow, it's hard for rich people to be saved. It's harder than getting a camel through the eye of a needle, which is really convicting for us because we're all rich, right? But thankfully, here's an example of Jesus actually getting a camel through the eye of a needle. 
he actually saves a rich guy. And it just involves the rich guy taking his hands off his money. That's all it is, right? That's what it looks like to be a Christian who's rich is your money is not yours, it's God's. And you use it, it channels through you to bless everybody around you, to bless the world. Jesus says an affirming thing to Zacchaeus in the end. He says, he's also a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus' name is Jewish, and so it's, it's certain that he's a Jew, and that, therefore a traitor to his own people, and I'm sure an outcast in his community because of, you know, his own actions. I mean, he deserved that. But Jesus makes this statement to say, even though you've been a total jerk, even though you've been an absolute moron in how you've handled your own people, you are still a son of Abraham. You're still part of God's people. You're still part of my family. And he welcomes him back in. I find it interesting that if you look at Zacchaeus' name, what does it mean? It means righteous, innocent, or pure. And maybe that was a nice name his parents gave him, you know, but they had no idea the kind of guy that he was going to become. Like, I'm sure there was a lot of jokes around Jericho about this name. Like, it just didn't fit him at all. It was like, you know, calling Danny DeVito the tall one. Like, it didn't make any sense. It didn't, it didn't fit him. And people, people were like, you've got to be kidding. Why is that guy named Zacchaeus? And then when they hear Zacchaeus, it would literally just sound like an oxymoron to them. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make any sense. But for Jesus, thankfully, he can see people not for who they are, today, but for who they can become. It's one of the, the coolest things about Jesus. And, you know, I got curious because as a pastor, unfortunately, one of the things we see is we see big change in people's lives for a day, for a couple weeks, for a few months. This is a big day for Zacchaeus, right? But the cynical side of me, the pessimist side of me says, yeah, what was he like a year later? You know, was he still all fired up? Was he still generous? Was he still following Jesus, still loving people? And so I just got a little curious. The Bible doesn't say anything more about what happened to Zacchaeus. But thankfully, the history of the church does. It tells us in a homily by Clement of Alexandria that Zacchaeus was eventually appointed bishop of Caesarea, likely appointed by the apostle Peter himself. So the guy became a pastor, even a pastor of pastors, like a, a shepherd of Christians throughout a whole region, just helping God's people to follow Jesus. Friends, Jesus can see you, not for who you are today, but for who you can become, just like he did with Zacchaeus. And that's why Jesus closes this encounter saying what he says. He says, the Son of Man, one of his favorite titles for himself, came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. That's why he left his father's side. That's why he came to earth. That's why Jesus suffered, died, and rose again on the third day. He came to seek and save the lost. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says he's like a doctor. He didn't come for the sick, but, or he didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And the bad news is that each and every one of us are deathly sick. We're like on our deathbeds, Right? But the good news is that means Jesus came for all of us. And it doesn't matter if you're the worst of the worst. It doesn't matter how many people you've ripped off, how many people you've lied to, how many people you've slept with. Jesus doesn't care. Over and over in the Gospels, we see that Jesus doesn't see you for who you've been. He sees you for who you can become. He wants to save you. He wants to change you, just like he did with Zacchaeus. And you're going to have an opportunity to come to him in just a moment. Let me pray for you. 
Our Father, we thank you for this story that you've recorded through Luke by your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your heart, Lord, for us, the lost ones. That you're not just drawn to those people who have it together, but you're drawn to the people that really are far from you. And I pray if there's someone in here today that's in that spot that's just, that's just wandering, that's just far from you, that you would bring them home like you did with Zacchaeus. That today would be that day of rejoicing for them. So we ask this in your precious name. Amen. I uh, had the honor last week of teaching our kids, and, and one of them asked me, why is it Jesus had to die? Why couldn't I do it? And the beauty of that is, is that, you know, getting to explain to him, there's nothing we can do, there's nothing in our actions or in ourselves that is good enough to save us. But as Pastor Dave said, we have the offer from Jesus to come follow him because he was born came to earth, was born as a man, lived a perfect life, showed us the way. Then he did die. He died to pay the cost of our sin. He was resurrected to overcome all sin and death. And now he invites us by the power of the Holy Spirit to join him. And so in a minute, um, the prayer team's going to come up while we play this last song. And so if you're hearing this message and you're feeling that pull to to come and to begin this journey of following Jesus, that team will be here to pray with you. Or if just something else, a place where you need to, you know you need to seek restitution with someone. Um, or just something else, other needs that are on your hearts and your minds, that prayer team will be there for you. So I'm going to pray, um, and then Nathan will lead us in a last song, and the prayer team will be up here. And feel free to come, otherwise you're dismissed. Jesus, we thank you that you are good, that you are the perfect one, that your offer to us is complete, and that we can trust you. We can turn our lives over to you and say that you are Lord, and you do all the work for us in, in terms of saving us, in, sa in terms of giving us new life, freedom from sin, freedom from sickness, freedom from death. So God, we pray that as we go out, that you would help us honor what it is you have called us to, that we would see the generosity that you have given us and we would begin to follow you in being generous to others. We just thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>